Welcome to the podcast where I invite you on a journey to explore meaning, vulnerability and purpose through the lens of a life lived in geekdom. I'm David Monteith and I am the Naked Geek. Welcome back to the Boudoir, episode five. And um, today I just want to talk about (laughs) a tipple that I really love. And once again, I'm probably loving it more for the can and the name of the beer than the beer itself. Don't get me wrong, the beer, you know what, let me start at the beginning. Now, I mentioned Brew York as a brewery before. They're the one that did the Battlestar Galactica tribute. And they've also got one, it's called Time Travelling Taxi and... It's got a picture of a taxi on the front with the door coming up. You know, like the DeLorean in Back to the Future, kind of um, sideways door opening thing. So it does that. And I mean, in my mind, this is a, it's got a New York taxi on it. and But it's got to be a a tribute to Fifth Element. Oh, I don't know. It might not be, but I I, I like to think so. So yeah, it's a great can. I love the fact it's called Time Travelling Taxi. And this is... (laughs) This is what the website says. Anyone experiencing the time-jumping taxi that arrives a minute after the map indicated it to be 10 minutes away, usually after ordering a beer, or maybe you recall the time-distorting taxi that started two minutes away yet doesn't arrive for 20 minutes. Maybe it was better when our taxis were always just around the corner. What? I don't care. That doesn't even give you a clue what the beer's going to be like. But I mean, do you care? Do you care? I don't. I just love it. It's 5.7%. It's a pale ale. And it's got nice texture to it, mainly because it's got a lot of oats involved in it. It's got a very hoppy flavour, if you like that kind of thing, and a bit fruity and malty altogether. So it's got real substance to it without being too heavy. Um, I enjoyed it. I just love the fact it's called the Time Travelling Taxi. And I've just discovered the fact that brew york actually have one called a time traveling tractor and i no longer know what to think about anyone anything so enough of that what are we talking about today so today i wanted to delve into one of those things that really influenced me when i was younger uh, you know the stuff that really left an imprint on me and i've chosen a book this week and the book I've chosen is The Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula Le Guin. Um, I can't remember how old I was when I first read this, but I was pretty ensconced in the fantasy scene, you know, sword and sorcery and all of that with my jam. Now, from the first page of this book, it just felt different to everything else. The world building seemed slightly out of phase with the other books at the time. The atmosphere was thoughtful and had some real hidden depth to it. Uh, There was more to process around motivation and character mindset than I was used to. Now, as per a lot of fantasy novels, it follows Sparrowhawk, a young boy who discovers he has great talent for magic. I mean, you know, we've heard this story time after time. But in this one, his mentor gives him his true name. And I love the lore that allows us to be renamed as our true nature becomes apparent. I think what a great sort of naming process that is. It allows us not to be tied down to our parents' naming reasons, whatever they may be, but to be named according to ourselves. Anyway, he, Sparrowhawk, is eventually sent to study magic at wizard school. 
Sound familiar? <laughs> he is cocky and arrogant and makes a terrible mistake that changes him and haunts him for a large portion of his life and requires him to face his own dark side, his, his own nature. Now, there's a lot of learning to be had in his story. It is sedate, uh, which is interesting as a, as a young man looking for action and battles and stuff. Um, you know, this is a much more sedate story, and yet it somehow manages to be exciting. Uh, the Guardian once described it as the most thrilling, wise and beautiful children's novel ever. And personally, I have to agree. Now, to understand what I'm about to tell you, it's important to understand Ursula, Ursula Le Guin. She was born in 1929 and was first published in 1959. And her literary career spanned nearly 60 years. Uh, she produced more than 20 novels and over 100 short stories, in addition to poetry, literary criticism, translations and children's books. I mean, now, right from the start, she was playing with concepts of gender, race, sexuality, political structure and coming of age stories. Now, this particular book was published in 1968, and if memory serves me right, it's about a month older than me. So when, about halfway through book two, something hit me, it blew up in my face and blew my mind, and I was truly astounded. It slowly occurred to me that no, or at least very few people, were white. Now, this was huge. You've got to understand. In fact, let me, let me help you understand. See, when I was a teen, I was intensely aware of my colour and the larger of context of that. But I wasn't politicised by it in any way. I was just subconsciously aware of a gap. And there it was being filled. A non-white, non-medieval, non-European or Nordic sourced mythology. Protagonists that looked like me. It, it was like the time that you suddenly realised there was one black character in the Star Wars universe. But oh, how cool was he? And he didn't die. I mean, this was new territory. It, it, I mean, I don't come from that, that age where black people made it to the end of the movie. So this was exciting. This was weird. But oh my, it was welcome. I felt seen by my favourite genre. I felt like I had a place in a way I hadn't realised was missing before. Ursula Le Guin had taken her time building this world. She had deliberately crafted it this way so that you accepted the characters and then began to realise they probably didn't look the way you thought they did. It's something I call stealth diversity and I love it. When production companies of everything from books to movies to comics to TV series go out of their way to show they are championing a cause it gives opportunity for the bigots to come out of the woodwork you've basically held up a placard going let's argue about something which is a complete distraction now my philosophy is just do it just produce your work and let it speak for yourself it will nail your colors to the wall without you having to signal to everyone just how good a diversity champion you are i was watching um fort salem and uh, it was only halfway through my wife said to me have you noticed that over 90% of the cast are female? And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, it, it is. And I hadn't even consciously noticed. But by that time, I was just enjoying the show. And the fact that women were leading the narrative had just happily buried itself in my mind. And if I was the sort of person that wanted to object to these things, it was too late because I was enjoying the show. I'd accepted the status quo presented almost without realising that's what I was doing. Now, Le Guin was quite interested to see what people would make of this, though, and the problems came with book covers. 
that routinely portrayed the main character as white. The worst, though, <laughs> was when she sold the rights to the Sci-Fi Channel, who made a two-part TV series <laughs> about Earthsea. Now, they assured her they would be respecting the essence of her work and her philosophy, and then proceeded to make a really bad whitewashed version of it. And her response was harsh. Then they sent me several versions of the script and told me that shooting had already begun. I had been cut out of the process and just as quickly race, which had been a crucial element, had been cut out of my stories. In the miniseries, Danny Glover is the only man of colour among the main characters, although there are a few others among the spear carriers. A far cry from the earth sea I envisioned. When I looked over the script, I realised the producers had no understanding of what the books are about and no interest in finding out. All they intended was to use the name Earthsea and some of the scenes from the books in a generic magic movie with a meaningless plot based on sex and violence. So, yeah, Le Guin really wasn't one to mince her words. Now, I was properly excited to hear they were producing a 50th anniversary edition of all her Earthsea stories with some new writing from Le Guin and decided I needed to own it for my 50th birthday. So it was with great sadness I learned of her death in January 2018, nine months before the book's release. This book changed so much for me. I believe it made a lot of people think again. And above all of that, it was a bloody good story that has stood the test of time. You'd do a lot worse than giving that a go. You'll find links in the show notes. Until next time, I've got one favour to ask you. Go join the Facebook group and let me know what book stood out for you when you were growing up made a huge difference. I would just love to know. Anyway, thanks for spending time with me. It's time to go and I'll see you next time when it's time to join me in my boudoir. I'm David Monteith, The Naked Geek.